0: When the mail comes, thank you, you go out to your mailbox. You open it up, and inside is a beautiful envelope. You open it up, and therein you read an invitation to visit the President of the United States. Well, you prepare to meet him, and when the day comes, you arrive at the White House to meet the president face to face, but you're wearing pajamas and slippers, and you go into his office, you kick back in your chair and place your feet up on the table and you speak to him very casually. How long do you think that visit is going to last? Not very long. I dare say. Why? Why would he excuse you quickly? Well, you would not have shown the president the respect that the office of president deserves. You showed up very casually in pajamas. You leaned back in your chair and put your feet up and were just completely irreverent. How much more should we think of our God than we think of the president? How much more should we revere the living and true God than we respect the president? Yet, there are many, many people who even claim to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who who seem to have almost no reverence for God. For his holy name. We we have a real problem. In our age. With reverence. In our text. This evening. in, In Mark chapter 11. Verses 15 through 19. We see. Just how much. Reverence. Is required. By God. Christ's great zeal. And this text, when he cleans the temple, shows the importance of revering God and rendering proper worship to him. See, Christ displays his zeal for you to revere and properly worship God. And this text also shows us the dangers of irreverence and false worship. We see here Christ displaying his zeal for the reverence and worship of God and the great dangers of irreverence and false worship. We'll look in this text at Christ's great zeal for the reverence of God. In verses 15 and 16, Christ's zeal for the proper worship of God. In verse 17, and the dangers of irreverence and false worship in verse 18 and 19. Now, this text takes place in the last week of Christ's ministry. You remember uh, on what is commonly called Palm Sunday, at the beginning of chapter 11, the Lord Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a colt, right? The uh, the cult of a donkey. He enters Jerusalem to great praise from people who are proclaiming him as a king. And then our text takes place the next day. Christ had left Jerusalem after that first day. He he had seen the temple. He knew what was going on, but he left Jerusalem and he went to stay in Bethany, a few miles away. And the next morning he rose and began to make his way back to Jerusalem. And on the way he stopped to look at the fig tree, which we read about. A fig tree which was seemingly full of life. It had leaves. If you've ever seen a fig tree children, they have these big, beautiful leaves. Very green, very beautiful. And Christ went to the fig tree to see if it had any fruit because it looked really good on the outside, looked beautiful on the outside, looked like it should supply great fruit. And yet, when he arrived to the fig tree, did he find any fruit? No, he did not. The fig tree was barren. It was was not the time for figs. And so he cursed it. And the fig tree shows us uh, an important lesson, an, an image of what Christ is going to find at the temple as well. Christ, then after the fig tree, came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple And here he shows his zeal for the reverence of God. See In Malachi chapter 3, Malachi the prophet had prophesied about the Lord coming suddenly to his temple. And here in this text, Christ comes suddenly to his temple. The Lord has arrived. But what does he find? Well, here in this magnificent place, the beautiful temple decked out in gold, to all external appearances, a place that should be engaged in the worship of God, a place where God's name should be greatly revered, a place that externally is beautiful, Christ finds, just like the fig tree, fruitlessness, irreverence, and false worship. We see Christ's wrath against both active irreverence or blasphemy, because that is what irreverence towards God really is. We see Christ's wrath against kind of this unknowing, uncaring blasphemy as well. Look with me to verse 15. They came to Jerusalem and he, that is Christ, entered the temple and he began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the monies or the table of, of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Here Christ demonstrates his zeal for the reverence of God and his wrath towards those who are being irreverent, who are practicing active blasphemy. He demonstrates his wrath against people who are using the temple as a marketplace. Now, the shorter catechism, when it tells us uh, in the, about the, the third commandment, What is forbidden in the third commandment? Third commandment teaches us, or the third commandment forbids, rather, the um, abuse and profaning of anything whereby God makes himself known. The temple was one of those things whereby the Lord God made himself known. And we see here these people using A place set aside for God, by God, for his people to worship him in. We see them using it for a common purpose, as a marketplace. When you would go visit the president, you don't wear pajamas. They're common. The Lord's temple is not to be used as a marketplace. It is not common. But here, these people were doing just that. They were using this part of the temple, not for the worship of God, not to revere God, but for monetary gain. We hear a read that he drove out those buying and selling. He overturned tables of money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Now, the historians can help us shed a little bit of light on what's going on here. See, in the temple, they were were selling animals for sacrifice, but they would have... Men come to inspect animals that were brought for sacrifice. And they saw that, well, maybe that didn't quite match up to what the temple wanted to sell you. They would say, this this sacrifice isn't appropriate. So you have to buy one of our animals. And then when you went to buy one of the animals, they would look at your money and they would say, well, this is Roman money. And, (laughs) you know, you're in the temple of God right now. You can't use Roman money it has images of false gods on it so there were money changers there were men who would who would take common everyday money and they would exchange it for special temple money and they would charge extra to do that and so these people were exploiting God's people they weren't just buying and selling they were practicing exploitation and abuse. These Israelites, these faithful people who would come to the temple to offer worship to the true God because they loved him, because they wanted to do what he commanded them to do. They come to the temple with their sacrifices, and there they are told, no, no, this is unacceptable. You have to use what we want you to use to worship the true and living God. This is not the purpose of the temple. The temple was given to the children of Israel to be a place for God to dwell amongst his people. See, at Sinai, when God had made the great promise to the children of Israel that he would be their God and they would be his people, he told them, I will dwell among you. The living God dwelling with his people. And how did he do that? He gave them the tabernacle. He gave them the sacrifices, the day of atonement. So that they could be uh, cleansed of their sins. So that he could dwell with them. So that they could have communion with God. God living with his people. We have something much better than that tabernacle, don't we? We have the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has sent his Holy Spirit to us, and so God lives with us. So we must be very careful. We must be careful not to confuse the worship of God with our practice of mundane things. We must revere the Lord. So we see Christ casting these people out, driving them out, expelling them from the temple. It's very forceful language. But we also see Christ preventing those who are unknowingly or just maybe kind of ignoring the sacredness of the temple and, and practicing blasphemy in that way. Look at verse 16. He would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. He would not permit people to carry things that they had bought, not in the temple, but outside the temple. You see, people were buying and selling in the temple. Blaspheming God's name that way. They were also buying things in the marketplace outside the temple and then using the courts of the temple as a shortcut to get home. Instead of looking at the temple and being reminded of who God is and how glorious He is and how they ought to worship Him, they said, well, it'll be quicker for me to just take my bag of groceries and walk through the court to get to the other side instead of going around. They did not recognize that God had set apart this temple for holy things. So, their irreverence just passing through. They were blaspheming the Lord God. They were doing it because they didn't care. They didn't pay attention. It was just something that they didn't even consider. And so, Christ here in verses 15. And 16 shows his zeal for the reverence of God by casting out and preventing from entering those people who were blaspheming the Lord God. I think we ought to be asking ourselves when we read this and and when we think of this and when we think of the third commandment, am I blaspheming? Are you blaspheming? Dear friends, blaspheming. You see, people take the name of the Lord in vain all around us. We are very much like Isaiah, a people of unclean lips who dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And so very often, it just kind of becomes part of what's around us. People taking the name of the Lord in vain. And and perhaps you have made a practice of reverencing God's name and and not taking it in vain, but maybe you have. Maybe you use God's name flippantly. Maybe you use God's name as a curse. Perhaps, children, adults, you don't think you are blaspheming, but you are when you used minced oaths. Minced oath is one of those kind of technical terms. Children, maybe you've seen your mom chop up garlic into really small, tiny pieces when she's cooking. She minces it, right? She does this. She makes it small. So maybe that little, tiny piece of garlic doesn't seem very important, but when it all mixes together, it's, it's very potent. A minced oath is maybe shortening a curse or a swear word or God's name in blaspheming. There are many examples of this. And we very often say these things not thinking about the fact that when we say these minced oaths, we are blaspheming God. We are showing our great irreverence for His holy name. So I exhort you to... To think about that. Think about your speech. And commit yourselves to speaking pure words. Not taking the name of the Lord in vain. We see Christ's zeal for the reverence of God. uh, But in verse 17, we also see Christ's zeal for the proper worship of God. Look at verse 17 with me Christ began to teach and to say to them is it not written my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations but you have made it a robbers den Christ here preaches a short a sort of mini sermon on two old testament passages Isaiah 56 verse 7 and Jeremiah 7:11 we read Jeremiah 7 Christ here shows these people are not worshiping properly. They have perverted the the proper worship, the proper purpose of the temple. We see that in his words, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. The purpose of the temple is to be a place of worship for the true God. A place for the prayers of the of God's people, a place where God and man would would meet when the high priest offered the sacrifices and cried out to God for the forgiveness of God's people. Christ says that the house was to be called a house of prayer. Isaiah 56 is a beautiful passage of the great and glorious purposes of God to save not only Israel, but also Gentiles. We won't turn there now, but I I encourage you to go look at Isaiah 56. In there, God promises that if Gentiles love Him, if Gentiles worship Him, if Gentiles take the Sabbath day holy, they are one of His people. The true worshipers of God are those who love Him, who revere Him, who trust in His Messiah, whether they be Jew or Gentile. And that was the great promise of Isaiah 56. It was to be a house of prayer for all the nations. The nations who would stream to the Holy Hill. The nations who would, would come to Jehovah God through Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. That was the grand purpose of the temple here, to not only be that place for the Israelites to worship God, but also for Gentile God-fearers to come and worship God. Now, in our age, we come to God through that great holy temple who was destroyed by humans, but was rebuilt in, in three days you know, that Jesus uses that imagery to speak of himself. That the temple would be torn down, but he would rebuild it in three days. Speaking of his death and his resurrection, we come to the great and glorious God. We Gentiles come to the great and glorious God. We come to his temple. We come to our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we can properly worship God. So Christ says, this is the purpose of the temple, the worship of God, the proper worship of God. And you see how how he takes this proper worship of God so seriously when he then proclaims the second half of his sermon from Jeremiah 7, what the temple had been turned into. You see, the temple had this great and glorious purpose, but, but Israel, like that fig tree, was fruitless. And, and dead on the inside. And the temple was turned into a robber's den. Verse 17, that he quotes Jeremiah 7. That he says the temple has, has been desecrated by this action. The exploitation, the abuse, it's desecration. It's like a place where, where robbers, where thieves where violent, murderous men meet together and they plot and plan on how to attack people and take their money. And then they go out, they fulfill their evil purposes, and then they come back and they hide there. Like a dirty place, a dingy place, run down, ramshackled, a place where no child would ever want to visit, a place where your parents would say, no, don't go there terrible place, a wicked place. Christ says, that is what you have done to the temple of God. It has a great and glorious purpose, the proper and pure worship of the living and true God, and you're using it like it's a run-down robber's den. It's a place where Desecration happened, and it was a place where worship was inhibited, prevented. Again, the historians shed a little bit of light. All of this marketplace, all of this buying and selling and money changing and all this stuff was set up in the part of the temple called the Court of the Gentiles, the place where Gentile God-fearers were able to come to the temple And instead of the priests and the scribes making that a place for Gentile worshipers to come and worship God, instead of promoting that great and glorious purpose, they bought and sold and exchanged money. They sold doves. They perverted and prevented the Gentiles from worshiping the true and living God. It's great wickedness. In that act. And Christ shows his great zeal then for proper worship. By telling them, by preaching this indicting message. You scribes and priests are just like wicked Israel. And he also, by saying that, tells them they will be judged. By the living and true God for what they have done. Just like God destroyed the temple at Shiloh. And told the people in Jeremiah's day that he was going to destroy things again. Christ's words here tell the scribes and the priests and all the people standing around listening, God will come judge again. This ought to take us, make us take note. Uh, this ought to make us uh, examine ourselves to look to our own lives, to our own worship, and, and think about whether we are properly worshiping God, whether our worship is, is uh, desirable to God. You see, the Lord desires those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. He desires those who worship Him as He has told them to in His Word. That's, that's what we read in the larger catechism about the second commandment, that, that there is a particular way that God wants to be worshiped. we must worship God in that way according to what he has said in his word. We must worship God in spirit. We must come to the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the only way that our worship is acceptable to the Lord God. So my my dear friends, I exhort you also, come to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit. Worship God as He has proclaimed in His Word. You are His people. If you love your Father, do what He has commanded in His Word. So we see then Christ's zeal for you to revere God, and we see Christ's zeal for you to properly worship God, but we also see in this text the great danger of irreverence and false worship. Uh, Look with me now to verses 18. It says, the chief priests and scribes heard this. They began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him The whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. We see here the response of the priests and the scribes when they hear Christ's sermon, when they hear him proclaim, My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. This is the place for the proper worship of God. But you have made it a den of thieves, and the Lord will judge you for it. How do they respond? Do they respond in repentance toward God? Do they recognize the great heinousness of their sin? Do they say, Jesus, you're absolutely right. We have desecrated this spot in the temple. We have prevented and perverted the right worship of God. No. They do not. They're, they're hardened in their sin. Their response is not one of repentance and faith. Rather, it is one of anger and fear. Look, they, when the scribes heard this, They began seeking how to destroy Christ. When they heard the great wickedness which they they were committing, instead of repenting towards God, they hated Christ even more. They were angry with him. They said, you can't talk to us like that, Jesus. They started seeking for a way to kill him the very opposite of how they should have responded. Instead of bowing before the Lord of glory, asking for his forgiveness, they say, we, we want to kill the Lord who has come to his temple. They have anger not against their sin. They have anger against Christ. But they also have fear. They were afraid of him for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. This fear, it's not the proper fear that one ought to have of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should fear God, children. We're commanded to fear God. We should fear Christ. But that isn't the kind of fear that these men have. These men are afraid that Jesus' teaching is going to rob them of their power and and of their wealth. They're afraid of losing their position. They're not afraid of, of offending God of blaspheming him. See, we ought to have fear of God that is holy and reverent. The opposite of of blasphemy. We ought to recognize who God is, what he has done, and that should lead us to worship him. But these men, they have fear not of the fact that they have offended God. They have fear that they will be displaced. Displaced. This response is very sad, very disturbing response. It it shows us the great danger that there is of being hardened in your sin. And, And when you're confronted with the true and living Christ, instead of turning to Him, you just double down. My friends, I desperately hope That is not any of your conditions here this evening. Do not, do not be angry with God when you are confronted with your sins. Do not fear that you might lose something that you like when you are confronted with your sin. That sin may be enjoyable for a time, but in the end it leads to death. Friends, do not cling to your sin. Fly, run, do not stop, but go to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Cry out to God for forgiveness. Do not be hardened as these priests and scribes were. We see this great danger, but we also see in verse 19, when the evening came, They would go out of the city. They referring to Christ and the apostles. Really a better rendering of that would be he went out because it is singular. But of course the apostles accompanied Jesus. But this is kind of a a basic statement. It just conveys that, well, Christ went back out to Bethany after he had done this work, after he had cast out uh, these men blaspheming after he had preached his sermon against false worship. But in another sense, the Lord, which came swiftly to his temple, the Lord of glory, left. You, you remember in, in the Old Testament when the, the wicked sons of Eli took the Ark of the Covenant in the battle against the Philistines, and they were killed, and Israel was defeated, and the Philistines captured the Ark. A woman who had Eli's grandson named him Ichabod. The glory has departed. It's a mournful statement. Here we see Christ, the glory of heaven departs the temple and his city. He, he walks away, he leaves. This too ought to cause us to think to cause us to reflect, ought to cause us to to focus on how we might revere the Lord and and properly worship Him. I think it also ought to, to cause us to think about our baptism. See, we who have been baptized have the name of God placed upon us Children of Israel were God's chosen, set-apart people, and we who have been baptized have God's name placed upon us. But children, you must come to the Lord God in faith. You, You should make covenant with God. He has said, I will be your God. You will be my people if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you must come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't wait Come now, even in your youth. Even now, come to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ and come to Him, trusting that He will teach you through His Word, through the preaching of His Word, what He desires for you to do, properly worshiping Him. Come now to Him, recognizing that He is the true and living God and He calls you. Come to Christ. Recognize that and in reverence for God and understanding Come to Christ. Trust in Him. Look to Him for salvation. Do not respond like the scribes and the priests. When your mother and your father, children, when they discipline you when you do something wrong. Look to that as one of God's graces, that He is teaching you the painfulness of sin and wrongdoing, and teaching you to look to Christ for forgiveness. Adults, when hard times come in your life, when you are confronted with consequences for sin and wrongdoing, don't harden your hearts. Instead, go to Christ. That is the only place where you will find solace and comfort where you will find forgiveness, which we all so desperately need. We see here in this text then how seriously God takes blasphemy, irreverence, how seriously he takes false worship. It is heinous in his sight. Christ casts these people out and, and preaches a condemning sermon against them. And the Lord uses this as a means of, Hardening the hearts of the scribes and Pharisees, of accomplishing His will, certainly. Because this is one of those things which would lead to the death of Christ by the hands of men. But we see this great hatred that God has for sin and the great and frightening truth that impenitence for sin leads to death. But we see and this cleansing of the temple, how serious of a matter it is to God, both the active uh, blasphemy of God and also the kind of unthinking blasphemy of God. Both are sinful before the Lord. And, and we see also Christ's zeal for worship, that, that we ought to properly worship God. doing, uh, Worshiping him as he has commanded, worshiping him in spirit and in truth. We see kind of that connection between reverence for God and proper worship. You must revere God when you worship him. You must come to him reverently. We see in Christ's display of his zeal. We see that he desires you to revere and properly worship the God. And we see the great dangers of irreverence and false worship. When the one true Christ is presented to you, dear saints, go to Him. Recognize Him. Trust in Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We know that. The fear of the Lord. Reverence for God. Recognizing who He is What he has done, his great and glorious nature, all that he is. That is the beginning of wisdom. Be wise, Christian. Be wise. Fear the Lord. Revere him. Do not blaspheme. Do not worship him in a way which he has not decreed. Honor the Lord in your words, honor the Lord by your deeds, honor the Lord by worshiping Him as He has commanded, in spirit and in truth. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cacheville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.